in the tallest trees to the human life of you and me from the desert sands to the place we stand he is god of all he is everything the scripture today is deuteronomy 6 1 through 9 and exodus 20 verse 15 now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's ask God's blessing upon Tim as he brings the word this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we could be here. Most of all, we thank you that you are here with us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for every believer who's here that you will fill them with your presence. Open our hearts and open our ears to hear, open our ears to hear what you have to say. If there's anyone here who, who is not yet a follower of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would lead them to that moment. Father, bless Tim, fill him with your presence. Give him the words to say that are your words. May we hear from you through him. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. All right, well, good morning. How's everybody? Uh, we are uh, continuing in our message series of uh, Faith, Family, and Freedom. Uh, we've been talking about the, the Ten Commandments uh, and going through those. Um, uh, you may be familiar with Ten Commandments and learning them. There's been movies about Ten Commandments. and uh, So we've been going through those uh, this summer. Uh, we are on the Eighth Commandment this morning. Uh, and I'll be going uh, through that. You know, this week as I was studying and, and preparing for this... Um, I was thinking about things that just really uh, frustrate and annoy you. Is it, anything frustrate and annoy you guys? Or are you perfect and nothing annoys you? And, and by the way, don't point to the person next to you. That's not allowed here. Uh, but there's something that, that really uh, that really frustrates me and really annoys me with the, the way things uh, are handled right now in society. And I'm sure you guys have uh, some of these things as well. Uh, and uh, it's, it's their internet passwords. Right? You have these online profiles that, uh, that you have to put a username in and a password, and uh, I can't remember them for the life of me, right? Because uh, every site that you log on to and you put a password in has to be completely different. You have to have an uppercase and a lowercase and a number and a special sign. Uh, am I alone here? 
No. All right. So that it gets you guys to, golly, that's annoying. And it's everything. Every bill you have online, your bank account, everything has a different password. And then you have to reset them every couple of months. Uh, I'll show you this. This is not the most sophisticated way, but uh, as I set a new online account, I, I write it on a sticky note and I do like two or three uh, per. And so I have like, you know, my, my Yahoo for my, my fantasy sports. Uh, that's right there. Uh, I, and I get uh, where my 401k is on this one and some things with uh, work accounts, uh, Verizon. And, and that's just three. There's, if you can look at this, there's like, don't zoom in so you can look at my accounts. But <laughs> boy, that's frustrating and it's annoying. And if I don't have these little things and I try to log on to something, I can't get there. Uh, I, I, this week I was not at the house, I was somewhere else and I was going to go online and, and uh, uh, pay something and I couldn't figure out what it was for the life of me and I tried all my normal passwords and my, you know, my driver's license and my address, all this, this normal stuff and then I got locked out because I tried so many times. But it got me to thinking, do you know why uh, these, these annoying online passwords exist? I'm sure you can guess because you're good Christian people here learning about the Eighth Commandment. It's because we don't follow the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment instructs us not to steal. There's lots of people out there who want to steal. And so you, they, set, uh, uh, they set you up with uh, passwords to prevent people from stealing. Uh, uh, and I'm sure that... Um, uh, you guys have been stolen from at some point or another. Uh, you know what it's like. Maybe uh, you've gone out to your car one morning and uh, uh, things are all over. Someone has gotten in your car. Uh, maybe, uh, this is horrible, but maybe someone has gotten into your house before and you walk in and it's ransacked and everything, the drawers are taken out and things are, are all over the place. Uh, maybe your, your uh, profile has been stolen. Your uh, your checking account or your social security number and your, uh, your, your, your uh, profile, all of a sudden you start getting bills for, for something that you did not buy. That's all because people are stealing from you. And so I thought about this this week. You know, it's pretty relevant, uh, prevalent, I mean, uh, uh, where you have a lot of, uh, a lot of things uh, being stolen. Uh, if you look at your house, you have locks on your doors. Maybe you have a fence around your house. Maybe you have security cameras. Maybe you have a dog. Uh, maybe some of you have a gun at home in case someone tries to break in and steal something. Uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, I hold up, uh, I'm pretty minimal, like especially compared to, to females typically. But uh, these are my keys. I have, you know, uh, eight for, yeah, eight keys. Uh, these are eight things where uh, it's tried to prevent someone from stealing. If everybody obey, obeyed the eighth commandment and there was no stealing, you would have no need for keys. Think about, just look at your keys right now. What keys do you have? It's probably a one or two to your house. You wouldn't need locks if nobody stole. Maybe one is to your car. Everybody would just have a push button. You wouldn't have a need to prove that that is your car with a key. Padlocks, uh, different, different locks. You wouldn't have to have that need. So stealing uh, is prevalent in our world today. And, uh, um, you know, if you go to a store, you have uh, security detectors, you have tags on, on the, the sleeves or on the apparel or the things that you're going to buy. Uh, and the whole point is to keep people from stealing. Have you been stolen from? Have you, have you had something taken from you? And then the other question I have for you is, 
Have you stolen? You see, we tend to be uh, 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 pretty uh, uh, aside on the air, uh, on the side of justice when things are taken from us. We feel um, like like somebody has done a wrong against us, but we don't look on the other way if we have stolen from someone. And so I want to throw out a quick definition. I, I like doing this all the time when we talk about issues because uh, I want to put everyone on the same uh, page when we're talking about this. So here's just a, a, a working definition of stealing. It's this. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you without permission or right, especially in secret or by force. And the, 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 the idea here, that's, that's nothing groundbreaking, right? Uh, everyone knows what stealing is. The idea is it belongs to somebody or something else, and you have taken it. You know, a man was uh, reported stealing a bar of soap from a corner store, uh, and the police said that he, they got a, a, got a clean getaway. See, I messed that up. I, I stumbled over the punchline. That was terrible. Let me try this one. You know, if, if you steal a lotto ticket, you know it's considered grand theft lotto? No? All right. I try. So uh, uh, what does God stay, say about stealing? That's what we want to jump into uh, this morning. We want to see what God has to say about stealing. Uh, and uh, there's uh, a passage in Exodus that we're going to be uh, looking at. It's Exodus uh, 20, verse 15. It's the eighth commandment. Uh, it's important enough that I memorized it. Are you ready? You shall not steal. Pretty good, right? Maybe you should memorize that too and go, uh, go home today. Proud of yourself that you memorized uh, our, our key scripture today. Uh, you shall not steal. Uh, uh, this is not like a legal contract where there, there's a ton of footnotes or details. There's no caveats or, or exceptions. Uh, God is just saying here, don't steal. You should not take what belongs to somebody else. But with the Eighth Commandment, what God is really uh, doing here, he's addressing our money, uh, our possessions, and how we attain those, three, those two things. Our money, our possessions, and how we get those things. Now, I don't have to convince you that stealing is bad. I don't have to try to talk you into it. I bet if I walked around uh, this room, I would get 100% of you that would say, yes, stealing is bad. Stealing is one of those rare um, uh, moral issues that, that is, uh, goes across race, goes across religion, goes across uh, cultures. Stealing is uh, frowned upon in almost every, in, in, no, in every uh, culture. So it's a global uh, uh, truism or moral uh, right that, that we think that we have. But we all steal in one of two ways. So if you sat there thinking, hey, today's commandment is thou shalt not steal, I think I got this down. I, I haven't stolen recently. Uh, but we all steal in two ways. The first way is uh, in wrong taking. And the second way is in wrong keeping. And we're going to dive into uh, those two a little bit. First uh, is wrong taking. Now we think, uh, usually when we think about stealing, we think about uh, stealing from an individual. Someone breaks into my house and takes my things. Uh, a, a, you know, one individual taking from another individual. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, I rode my bike uh, to uh, the, the local liquor store on the corner to get a piece of candy or baseball cards, whatever I was doing. Uh, came out, the bike was gone. Somebody stole it from me. Well, one individual stole from me. But we also... Um, uh, we also say that, or we also know that uh, it can be from uh, a, a corporation or a group. We can take from something that is bigger. 
Let me give you an example. Uh, it's not one that I have done uh, in any recent time, uh, but I'm sure many of you have. If you walk into, uh, let's say, Burger King right here to go have uh, lunch after church, and you order a Whopper and fries and get a water cup, but you go over to the soda fountain and you don't put water in it, you put Sprite, because it looks like water, or Coke, and you sit down, would that be considered stealing? Yeah, it is. That's stealing. But if you saw somebody do it, you probably wouldn't uh, 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 think too harshly on them because, you know, what's a little bit of soda to this big co corporate organization that makes a ton of money? Uh, and it's, it's taking from a group. You don't think much about it. But if I were to walk into Burger King and I order my Whopper and fries uh, and I pay, and then I go over to the table right here and I take somebody else's soda cup, I dump it out in the fountain and I put it in and I sit down and I, I drink soda, like you would look at me and say, hey, that's wrong because I took it from another individual. So we steal from individuals, we steal from, from groups and corporations. Uh, so with, with that being said, I made a list of ways that we steal this week. Uh, I'm going to rattle them off. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's several different ways that maybe uh, you may not have thought about. Uh, here they are. Uh, embezzling, unreasonably high interest rates, Unfair payday loans, uh, rigged gambling, break-ins, uh, unjust taxation. Send this to the government, would you? Unjust taxation, burglary, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, extortion, racketeering, underpaying your taxes, filing false insurance claims, falsely billing clients and or falsely billing an employer. Uh, if you embellish a little bit on an expense report, maybe you put some things in there that aren't business related, but that you know you can get it by with that. I've never done that. Um, misappropriating company funds, killing time at work, not paying your employees what you should, taking supplies or stocked goods from your employer, taking intellectual property or plagiarism, illegal downloads, you college and high school students, uh, I'm sure you haven't done that, but if you uh, download a paper and uh, plagiarize from that paper or just turn that in, uh, that's stealing. Right, technology has opened up a lot of opportunities for thievery. And just to, to prove a, a good modern day point, I actually downloaded this uh, message this morning from the internet and just reading it word for word. It's not mine. No, I'm kidding, unless you don't know me. So God says you should not steal, and we steal all the time. You know, uh, the National Retail Federation says uh, that retailers lose about $50 billion annually, annually uh, to theft. $50 billion. That's a lot. I know we don't uh, we usually talk in terms of billions, especially when it comes to personal finances. Uh, I don't know, if, does somebody here have a billion dollars? Well, we should be friends. Uh, but $50 billion is hard to fathom, but that's how much is taken. Uh, they also put a list out with the top eight items that are stolen. Any guesses to what's on the top eight items? All right. Uh, one is uh, electronics, cigarettes, pregnancy tests, handbags, weight loss pills, pain relievers, relievers infant formula, razors, and the number one stolen item, alcohol. Those are the, 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 the top uh, eight items uh, that are taken from retailers. And again, $50 billion is, is estimated. So what I want to do is I want to uh, take just a moment as we, we were in the section of wrong taking and show just uh, some uh, through uh, relationships or, or ways that we are uh, in life and show what the Bible says about them. And so we'll start with employers. 
Um, you might be an employer here today. Uh, you might have a business where you're an employer, but you also might uh, be in a situation where you hire people to do stuff for you. If you hire somebody to do work at your house, you hire a, a housekeeper, a gardener, someone to, uh, to paint your house, you're an employer. So uh, what does uh, God say uh, to those folks? In James uh, 5, 4 through 5, there's a good uh, passage here that says, uh, Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. See, that's stealing. Kept back by fraud is stealing. Uh, Are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the God who rules over all angels and demons, right? Uh, You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-dulgence. You can pay them, but you just didn't. That's what that means. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're an employer uh, and you have an employee and you have agreed to pay them, you have contracted uh, with them, you should pay them. What he's not talking about here are people who, who didn't do their job and so you withhold fun. But if someone has done a job, you withhold something from them, that is stealing. Uh, you employers need to, to, to know this is that uh, those, who, uh, those who are poor, those who are, are workers oftentimes are in a position of vulnerability. Uh, and Jesus was uh, sensitive particularly to this, these types of folks because he grew up in a poor working uh, class home. He would, that was not of high position. He was, uh, his father was a carpenter, was not in high position. He was actually a low position. We know that his parents were poor because when they came to the temple to, to bring their, their sacrifices, uh, uh, they were poor, so they, they went to the temple to offer their sacrifice, and they didn't offer the typical sacrifice. There was an exception in the law uh, for families who were poor to offer a lesser sacrifice, and that was part of Jesus' family. That was Mary and Joseph. His dad was a carpenter. He came from a, a working-class, rural, small town. I have a friend who is uh, a handyman uh, for a living, just kind of does all sorts of things. And he did a job one time for a pretty high-profile person in his community, person who is, is well-off, has a big home. And uh, uh, he contracted with him. He did the work. He did the work with excellence, and it came time to pay. Uh, this guy had paid up front some just to get some supplies, and the remainder was due at the very end. And when he got done, the guy looked around. And he says, yeah, it's a, a job well done, but I'm not going to pay you. And, and, and the worker said, well, what do you mean you're not going to pay you? Did I do something wrong? Have I not lived up to uh, my, your expectations of my work? And he says, no, you, you did. Uh, but what I owe you uh, is going to be about the exact same of what it costs for you to hire an attorney, an attorney or a lawyer to sue me. And so I'm just not going to pay. That's wrong. What he's talking about is, is injustice. It's, it's stealing. You're not giving to somebody what is theirs. That's the first item here of what I'm talking about with stealing. Uh, now, the other way, number two, is, is with employees. Uh, I think uh, a few of you here are employees, right? You have an employer. Uh, there's a verse in Titus that I want to read that talks to, to us, and it's Titus 2, 9 through 10. It says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. Now, in our culture, uh, the equivalent to this is not identical, but the closest thing we can get to this is uh, an employer or an employee, those, those who are in authority, those who are in authority and under authority. Uh, they are uh, to be well-pleasing, have a good attitude, do a good job, not argumentative. 
not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The idea here is uh, your work is your witness. And once you sign up to be uh, under, uh, the, uh, to submit under the authority of your employer to do a good job, to do it right, to not be argumentative or a pain in the butt to your employer, but do a good job, work hard, do what you are, have been asked to do. Now, employee theft uh, happens a lot. In fact, the, uh, we went over consumer theft, uh, but employees steal five and a half times more than consumers do. Imagine that. Uh, it, it's, it's calculated to be about $200 billion a year that employees steal through their employers. And we steal in one of three ways. Uh, these might, uh, you might think to yourself that uh, um, uh, you can't quite comprehend that. Uh, stealing from your employer, that's $200 billion, but we steal in, in three ways. Uh, the, the first and most, most prevalent way uh, is uh, with our time. You know, you may think that, oh, I don't go into uh, our, our, our office supply center and steal all my kids' back-to-school su supplies and bring it back. That's what you would think for stealing. And maybe some of you do that. That's, you know, whatever. Uh, but we also steal with our time. The biggest way, we, there's three ways we steal with our time. The biggest way, 44% of workers admit to wasting time on the computer, the internet, right? You're, uh, you're at work and you're on your computer and you pull up a site that is not work-related. Uh, it might be uh, uh, Facebook or, or uh, Pinterest or uh, ESPN. Uh, here in a couple of weeks, uh, well, actually, uh, not, not this coming Thursday, but a week from this Thursday, starts the, uh, the season of the National Football League. Praise God, it's back. Uh, how many here do fan play fantasy football? Yeah, there's, and I think more people are. Yeah, you do? She's pointing at you, man. She's got you nailed down. Fantasy football is one of the biggest uh, time wasters at work because people are constantly looking at, at the, the waiver wires and looking at their team and putting in their starters. One, one of the biggest days that people uh, waste time at work is, during, uh, is in March during the March Madness Tournament because you're constantly looking at scores and looking at the games and, and uh, watching your bracket. Now, I'm sure none of you here play uh, waste time at work with fantasy football or with March Madness or in any other way, but there are 44% of people out there who say uh, that they do, which also, by the way, only 44% of people say they waste time on the computer. That means that there's 56 people who are lying. We'll handle you next week with the Ninth Commandment. <laughs> Another way we waste time is by socializing. 23% of the time uh, of workers or employers are spent socializing, uh, talking with, with coworkers or friends or on the phone in a way that does not relate to work at all. And the third way, 6% uh, of the time we waste uh, at work is on personal business. That's uh, hand, handling, uh, setting uh, doctor's appointments or dentist appointments or paying bills online or things like that. Those are, those are ways, modern day ways, in which we take from our employers. So that's wrong uh, taking. I want to now spend the second half talking about the, the, the second area that uh, we do, with, with that stealing is done, and that is by wrong keeping. This is a little different one, uh, because we don't think about keeping something uh, as stealing, uh, but I think you will once we look into this. Um, 
This is especially uh, for Christians. I know we have some Christians here today, uh, but God has some strict, harsh words for Christians in the book of, of Malachi. Malachi uh, 8 verse 9 says this, Will man rob God? Interesting, right? You don't think about robbing or taking or stealing from God, but it's saying here, will, will man, will you steal from God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. See, these people here in this time uh, of the book of Malachi, they're acting like they love God, but they really don't. And, and he's talking about the, the, the way that they give back to God. They weren't doing that. They were keeping everything. And so if, if the money was truly theirs, uh, even if they didn't give it away, but it was truly theirs, the best that God could say is that they were being uh, cheap or, or stingy with the money. Catch that. But if God truly owns everything that you have, if God truly gives you everything that you own, then if you keep on to it, that is stealing or that is robbing God. You see, stealing happens, uh, stealing is what happens when, when wealth becomes God, right? The, the, we've been through the first commandments. The very first commandment was that there's only one God. The second commandment is that we should work up, worship that God alone and no other gods before it. But what happens with stealing is when we replace God with money or with possessions, or with power, or whatever we're chasing, we replace God with that, then, we, then that becomes our, our main effort, what we go and what we get and what we take. The problem, or Paul says uh, several times, is that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And with that, money is not evil itself. Money is good. We all need to have jobs and go and work. That is biblical as well. But when the, your pursuit of money exceeds your pursuit of Jesus, that is where you, your issue is. That's why Jesus says where your treasure is reveals ultimately where your heart is. And so God shows up and he has a question for them and he has a question for you as well. Will man rob God? Yet are you robbing me? He says, how have we robbed you? He says, in your tithes and your contributions, giving back to God. Now, we, we know that, uh, we have studied here before, and we know here that everything that we have is given to us by God, right? The money that you have, let's say you have $10,000, that is given to you by God, and he expects you to be a steward of that money. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. You are now put in, in charge of stewarding that money. And uh, uh, we are, as Christians, as uh, committed believers of Christ, we are commanded to, to, use, to, uh, to give tithes and offering. Tithes mean a, a tenth of your percent. Uh, the Bible calls it the first fruits. So when you make uh, money, he says the first fruits, the, the thing you're first supposed to do is to give 10% to your local church. And some of you might say, wow, 10%, that's a lot. Um, how does God expect me to live on 10%? Well, you look at it the other way around. God says, I'm going to give you all of this, and you can keep 90% of it and do what you want. That's what he's calling us to do. And what God, uh, what God is saying here is, is, you've robbed me. And the question is, well, how did we rob you? If God puts money in your hands to share and to steward, and you keep it, that would be considered stealing. That point makes sense? Let me give you an example. 
Several years ago when my kids were uh, quite younger, we went to a movie. And they all wanted something to, uh, from the concession stand, whether it was uh, popcorn or soda or candy or whatever. And so I gave my, my uh, oldest daughter, Kenzie, who was 12 or 13 at the time, I gave her $20. And I said, here, go take uh, this money, uh, buy something for you, your sister, and your brother. Now, um, what she could have done is uh, she could have gone to the concession stand and she could have said, uh, you know, uh, bought herself a candy bar or whatever she wanted and didn't get anything else for her brother or sister. She could have done that. You know, she could have bought a, a, a thing of popcorn and she could have thought, you know, next time we go to the movie, I'm not sure that my father will provide for me, so I'm going to keep this money just to make sure... And if he doesn't give me money for next time or provide for me, then I have this, this, this money that I'm holding on to, this, this savings, right? And um, uh, because I gave that money to her, if she didn't buy something for her brothers and sisters, that could be considered stealing, right? If she didn't buy something, that would be stealing. Now, she did what she was supposed to do. She bought uh, her brother and sister and herself something, and she gave me the change back. Good girl. So she was all right there. But if she, see, in that scenario, that $20 was not Kinsey's. That $20 was mine. I gave it to her to steward and to do certain things with it, and she did that. But if she didn't steward that money, if she said, no, no, this money is mine, I'm going to hold on to it and do what I'm on. I don't care what my father says to do with it, that would be wrong keeping, and that would be considered stealing. See, God doesn't take our tithe. He asks us just to give it back. I know when we, when we give our tithe, we say, wow, look at me, I'm being so great. I'm, I'm, look how generous I am. And you are, don't catch that. But what you're doing is you're giving back to God what he's asked you to give back. It's more of a heart issue. And so I don't want you guys to think this is not a tithing message. Uh, this is not an offering message. I really don't want you to hear this today. What I want you to hear is that point exactly is, is where your heart is. When God gives you something, what do you, what do, you do with that? And typically when we hold back tithes and offerings, it's a heart issue. It's because we have replaced uh, God as supreme being in our life and we've put money there. And now we're pursuing that instead of pursuing God. If you 100% pursued God and you put him uh, first in your life, giving back the 10% that he's asked or the tithing wouldn't be so horrible or, or so, uh, so difficult for us. We do this. We do this wrong keeping because we serve a different God. Jesus talked about money and the love of money more than he talked about anything else, more than he talked about uh, sex or hell or murder or hate. He talked about money. And so it's, a, it's, it's an important. And the reason it's important is because money is so deceptive. It is so... Uh, gives, it gives us such great comfort to have money. Sometimes it gives us more comfort than actually uh, a right relationship with God. So we think... And money gives us uh, this comfort. And, and we look at our bank account, we take comfort in it. You are really weird if you disagree with that. If you log on to your account right now, assuming you can remember your password, and look at your account balance, and it's a good balance, it gives you a sense of comfort. Right? It makes you feel good. But we typically don't get those same feelings when we read Scripture and we read the promises of God. Matthew six twenty four says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and money. Amen. Money is, is uh, its appeal is universal. Whatever you need, money can get for you. Money says that if you have enough uh, of me, your life will be the way you want it. Are you insecure about the future? Money says I can give you a 401k or a savings account, and every and it'll give you every comfort that you will want. So we begin to trust money and pursue money at the cost of God. We begin to worship money rather than the God. We don't sing to money. Right? We don't sit there and say, oh, for all about money. But what we do is we pursue it more than we pursue God. And so that's where that, promise, or that verse in Matthew comes in. You cannot serve two masters. Which one is yours? Money promises to be uh, everything that God promises. You see, it? God has given you certain promises, and what money does, and Satan knows this, money gives you uh, those, those promises, those same promises, but oftentimes quicker, and in the way that you would want those things. And though, this is where God shows off his greatness in only, the only way that he can, and because he sees everything and, and knows you, and what we're talking about, all the greed and, and all the thieving, and God changes us, by giving more. Check out this verse uh, in 2 Corinthians where Paul is motivating the Corinthian church in the same exact way. They're a dysfunctional group of people. Uh, that's a good description. They're just a dysfunctional group of people, this church in Corinth uh, in 2 Corinthians. And he tells them this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he was, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Catch that? Yet, for your, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. Man, we could talk about this for hours. We're not. Uh, but this is such a rich verse. It's so good and, and, and so meaningful. What Paul is doing is here is he's motivating these people by showing uh, uh, not, not by showing the promises, but by telling these people about what Jesus has already done for them. God motivates change through love. God motivates with not what, uh, what, what I want to be done, but what, what, but what Jesus has already done. He became poor for you in every possible way so that you can become rich like he was in every possible way. And what it does, when you, when you understand that, when you understand that, that he was a God with a crown uh, in heaven and he gave all of that up to become poor, right? Giving all that up means now you're poor to come down to save us. And all do, he did all of that because of his love for us. He lost everything in that process. He lost his influence with the Romans. He became poor in respect with authorities. He became poor with his body that was broken up for us. He became poor for us out of love. And it's no coincidence that, that Jesus suffered for our stealing in between two thieves. Mark 15, 27 says, and with, uh, and with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And the one thief who was on his side saw Jesus' poverty, and he spit at him, and he mocked him. Then the other thief on the other side saw Jesus' poverty, what he gave up to die for his children. He saw that love, and it completely changed him. And that thief said to Jesus, remember me when you get to heaven. 
See, money promises to be all the, these things and then markets crash and your money is nowhere to be there to save you. These things that felt so sturdy, uh, so strong, get taken away so easy. And Jesus, Jesus has made us so rich that it makes everything we're looking to money to give us look small and petty. Money promises us uh, power, but that power is false. Right? If you have a, 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 an influential job or you're influential in, a, in, in the city or, or somewhere, uh, that power feels good, but that power is false. In Christ, we have true power in that we can pray to the creator of the universe and he, he works uh, in and through us. That's great power. Now, rich in, in um, uh, money promises us richness, Money promises us control, but that richness and control is nothing compared to what we have it in God. I'm going to give you a little test. What gives you greater comfort? If you were to log into your account right now and see a balance of $150,000, uh, that would give you a certain amount of comfort, would it not? It would mean. Uh, that would give you a certain amount of comfort. Does that give you great comfort or does this give you comfort? Read God's promise in Jeremiah when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans for you are, are for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Does that give you greater comfort or does, that, does looking at your bank account with $150,000 give you better comfort? Which one is it? When you're worried about your future, does it give you greater comfort to log into your 401k and see where you are and know that you're going to be okay? Assuming that that's an okay thing, your 401k. Or does it give you greater comfort to know where God says in Proverbs 3, to trust in me and I will set your path straight? Do you feel more empowered and have a greater level of self-worth when you get a promotion at work? Or do you have a greater level of self-worth worth when you read Philippians 4.13 that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you? Which one gives you greater comfort? Which one uh, makes you feel uh, valuable and have more self-worth when God says that you are or when your work says you are? The poverty of Jesus, he lost everything for us. And here's the point of it as, as we wrap up is this. In your life, you can only pursue and have one master. You can only have one master. And whatever that master is in your life, that is what you are going to pursue. That's what's going to get your most energy, your most time, your best efforts. The Bible clearly says that God should be that first priority in your life. If it's anything else, you will pursue that thing more than you will pursue God. And this is where stealing comes in because to get that thing that you've set on the pedestal of your life, you're willing to do anything for. What the Bible says is put me first. Make me lordship in your life. Pursue me. And by doing that, you will have all of the comforts and the powers and the riches and the, the, the warm and fuzzy things that you need in your life. This is more of a, of a heart issue than it is thinking about more, uh, just stealing and taking things and being greedy. This is you needing more of Jesus in your life. Uh, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up here. We're going to close, uh, not close, we're going to go into a song called More Like Jesus. We've sang it here before, but I just want uh, to call out some of the lyrics. And 
as they play it for us, I really want you guys, even just for the, the first little bit, just to read these lyrics and see these lyrics, the song words, as, the, as they sing over us. It says, all of you means less of, if, if all of you means less of me, take everything. Because all of you is all I need, take everything. That's the course. And that's what, what the, the, the cure to stealing is, is just more of Jesus. More of you in my life. Lay me down. That song we sang earlier, lay me down and put you above me. Uh, one of the verses says, change me like only you can. Here with my uh, heart in your hands, Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. And so I want to use this time as we respond to hopefully you have that as your prayer. That God, I want you to make me more of Jesus. Would you put more of Jesus in my life and less of these other things? Lord, would you, would you uh, uh, challenge me and convict me to put you ahead in my life, Lord, you in your rightful place as uh, Lord in my life? Will you pray with me? Father God, Lord, I thank you for loving us so much. I thank you for uh, becoming uh, poor in poverty so that we could be saved. Lord, you loved us so much that you gave up literally everything in that process of saving Lord, I thank you for the cross, and I pray now, Lord, uh, as, as we sing this song, as we commit, uh, use this song as kind of a pledge and an, and an anthem and a promise to you today, Lord, will we sing that well, and will, may we respond in communion well as we do it. Lord, you are a great and awesome Father, and we ask that you are honored and glorified through our response this morning. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.